Welcome to the Untitled Prospects Podcast, Episode 4. Uh, it's Brian Murphy and Roger Munter. Roger, we're going to figure this out, I promise. We're Still a major this. failing that we can't that's, come up with a title right. for this thing. But we are covering the Giants farm system and joining us this week, a very special guest, uh, Jason Panini, co-founder of the website Prospects Live. He's scouted the Arizona League extensively. He's going to tell us things about A-ball that I don't know anything about. I am way out of my element. This is going to be Jason and Roger giving you some expertise. Jason, welcome to the Untitled Prospects Podcast. Well, first of all, great title for the show. <laughs> it's <laughs> and, a 20-grade title. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. you guys need to do some uh, serious digging on the title. But yeah, thanks for having me on. This will be fun. Prospects Live is a great, great site, and you drop tons and tons of wonderful footage and scouting reports and everyone should definitely go check it out i'm just gonna say that front right up absolutely jason my that's kind of like my first question is sort of what hooked you into scouting you're you're watching games right now you're watching you know players who may might not even make it you're watching a lot of weird baseball but fun baseball like what what inspires you to to get into this and and follow like this Man, well, several years ago, I was listening to another baseball podcast called Up and In, and I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that one, but... I remember it. Yeah, the two hosts went on to get baseball jobs. They were baseball prospectus writers at the time. It's uh, Kevin Goldstein and Jason Parks, and um, now Kevin is with the Astros, and Jason's with the Diamondbacks, and... Um, they both had ended up getting pretty high profile scouting director type jobs and they started in the media space you know they started writing at baseball prospectus and their podcast was really i thought transcendent it was my favorite baseball podcast of all time and i was sort of just sitting in my cube in my office hating my accounting job (laughs) and said you know that sounds like a fun life uh, yeah. If I'm ever going to quit my job, I'm going to do that. And eventually I kind of got to a point where, you know, I was sort of depressed at work and more or less hated what I was doing. So I just said, kind of, screw it. I'm going to quit my job and try to get into baseball. And I was just kind of intoxicated by this idea of living a scout life and just kind of being on the road all the time and really seeing as much baseball as I can and just trying to teach myself how to scout basically which is what I've been doing the last two years I've been really living on the road and seeing an insane amount of baseball games trying to learn how to analyze mechanics and um, really just trying to teach myself how to scout and that's that's what I've been doing. I'm legitimately inspired by your story. I think it's incredible. Uh, selfishly, I picked out two things from that, though, and that is we need to come up with a title for our podcast to inspire people. And, <laughs> and you're chasing a ring. I got it. So I got it. And, chasing and we, need, <laughs> we need much, much better banter because the, the <laughs> Kevin Goldstein, Jason Parks banter was just unmatched in any podcast that's ever been since then <laughs> even after mike farron came on it was still pretty good <laughs> so you're living out of your car watching a lot of talented young players playing baseball and we want to wrangle you for as long as we have you which is not long <laughs> to talk about the giants which i as far as i can tell 
uh, people who ordinarily would just spend time at the end of the night making jokes about the farm system, they seem to actually be paying attention to it in the morning now when they write their report. So is there anything like right off the bat you could say, like if you were giving like the TV guide description, one line description of what you've seen from the 2019 farm system? Is there anything that stands out? Sure. Well, I think it's an improving system. I mean, last year, it's funny, as as we're going through all the Prospect Live top 30 list, it seemed like the teams with, you know, kind of back-end farm systems, like in the 25 to 30th org rankings, those were getting pushed towards the end of the offseason. And um, the Giants were one of those teams. They were a team that just didn't, you know, last season didn't have a ton of talent, but right now they have all these young emerging teenagers that are, I would say, boosting their overall org ranking relative to the other teams up. I mean, Marco Luciano is just a special player. I think, I think you can make a case he's a top 30 prospect in all of baseball right now, and he's still in rookie ball, and I mean... That's a, a blue chip piece, and he's not the only one. I think Luis, Luis Toribio has everyday player upside. You also have Jairo Pomares, who I think could project to be an everyday player. I mean, they have a lot of depth. It's in the low minors. It's far away, but there are some guys who are making noise in the giant system, and um, I think if you compared them to a year ago right now, it's a much improved system and a system with more hope than you would think. Um, not, not than you would think, but just compared to a year ago today, it's a improved system. I think if I recall correctly, in when you did their top 30 last winter, you ended up with at least two, maybe three relief pitchers, uh, in your top 10 or 12, I think. Um, because I know Black and, and, and Adon were both up there, uh, and I think Duvall was too. Uh, I would suspect as you start thinking about your notes for, for the top 30 whenever you get around to the Giants this year, you know, those kind of people are going to get pushed down as some of these teenagers start moving up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are guys with everyday player upside, and they're just going to project as having more value than, you know, guy who is – relief only and his ceiling is closer versus these guys if they can be an above average everyday player there's still a little more value there and um yeah i think you're right on that last year when i looked at the giant system there just weren't a whole lot of guys who i thought had legitimate chance to be starting pitchers and i think for that reason i ended up pushing relievers kind of aggressively up the list especially right. guys like melvin adone who you know, he can literally throw 102 with a plus slider. <laughs> so, you know, there's going to be some kind of major league role for him, even if it's just a, in a pen capacity. Yeah, and we, we'll probably talk about starters here in a little bit, but I want to dig more into the teenagers. So yeah. one thing you've already said a few times, and scout guys who talk scouting talk about this a lot, and that is projectability. And I wonder if you could just take a few minutes to kind of talk about what that means, what you're looking at when you say that. And maybe you can use like Luciano and Toribio in, in, as examples because I think they're, they're two very different 
uh, players in terms of their projectability. What are you looking at and what are you seeing when you talk about projectability for, for these teenagers? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you're sort of looking at their body and trying to, for lack of a better word, project, or you're looking at the body and trying to guess how it's going to evolve as they get older. I mean, I'm looking at how old they are and then their body type. So Luciano has this, he's not even 18 yet. He turns 18 in September and he has this sort of wiry, strong frame. Like I'd almost call it lift, lift strong. And he just looks like a guy who could add a decent amount of weight. And his listed weight coming over was only 100, 178 pounds and he's six foot two. So this just looks like a guy that could add significant muscle mass. And he already has probably something like 70 raw power. And this is raw power where you go to watch him in batting practice. And some guys are only hitting balls out to their pull side. I mean, that's not the case for Luciano. He's just hitting balls all over the place. It's like center, right, left, doesn't matter. He's strong enough, and he just has insane bat speed. He can put it out to any side of the any side of the park. And I just look at him. The body's very projectable, and I think it's you could even say seventy, possible seventy power at maturity because you know he's going to fill out and it's going to be more power than he's even showing right now. At least that's what I see from my perspective. Um, Turbio is a little bit different of a body type. He's not like a lift kind of skinny kid like Luciano. Turbio is a little bit thicker. Um, so there's less body projection there, but he's an incredibly strong kid. And I still think he could potentially you know, be a plus raw power type guy. I don't know if he's going to get to it all in game. He like swings the bat really hard. And I think that potentially could expose him to some swing and miss. And it's also a very, the swing is pull oriented. And I think as he moves through the minors, that could potentially eat into the utility of his hit tool a little bit. Um, I still like Toribio, but I like, Luciano's chance of, you know, tapping into his full power potential a little bit more. Yeah. So when I go to bed at night, I can dream about Marco Luciano and, and that's good. That's how excited <laughs> I should be about it. Yes. You should, okay. you should be very amped about this kid. He's special. Like the hands and bat speed are just, I would, are sublime. And the projectability issue, of course, uh, affects the the defensive profile too because so i so i get lots of people will will send me messages and say well how does his defense look right now and I, I try and sort of explain to them that's that's not really the right way to frame it the the defense is again about projecting where you think the body is going to be more than you know how's his fielding on a back lot in in arizona uh, right so what do you what what do you see out of his sort of long-term defensive projection yeah with luciano it's been a little rough out here. It's he's he's a little bit raw. There've been defensive plays where there were plays he really that I thought were fairly routine that you know a polished shortstop's going to make. And I I think just in terms of projectability too, I think he's going to add weight. And 
I think eventually he's going to end up over at third. The defensive actions, you know, how he works around the bag, around the infield bag, it's just they're just okay to me. I don't view him as like a special defensive player. And um, mm-hmm. I've only, I've really only seen maybe one max effort throw with his arm, and it's not a bad arm. I'd say it's somewhere in the 50 to 55 range. I think it's enough to play at third. And the run times haven't been that great with Luciano either. I mean, I, Interesting. I had him, I had him four, five, two on a, a ground out five to three. And I don't know if I've truly seen a max effort run from him, like purely based on the scouting scale, like that's a 30 run time. I think he's actually a little faster than that. I think he's, maybe a 40 runner, but then it goes back to projectability where if he continues to add weight as he gets a little older and matures, then, you know, maybe that that knocks down his range a little bit defensively. Maybe that makes him a little bit slower of a runner. And I think for that reason, it makes it easier to project him over at third than a guy who would stick at a shortstop. And yeah, that's not even taking into account some of the just, you know, I don't want to totally rip his defense, but it hasn't been that great in my looks out here. And I still think he's a special player and I have him ranked accordingly in the top 100 list that I wrote up. And um, that should be out on prospects live pretty soon. I, I still love Luciano. I'm just, I'm not overly amped about what I've seen from him defensively. Uh-huh. You know, and it's important, of course, always to make these. All of these are snapshots in time. I mean, when you talk about speed, for instance, we've seen that with Elliot Ramos, where his speed is sort of taken a step back uh, last year. It's moved up a little bit this year. You know, as as athletes mature physically, as their training habits change, you know, the level of all of these sort of athletic components will will wax and wane as they're going through their development. Yeah, I mean, I'm not super concerned about it i think this is still a guy that projects to be uh i had like if i had to throw a grade on him i'd throw a roll 60 on him i mean luciano is mm-hmm. one of the best he's one of the at, best at 17 here yeah at a at, in the at 17 year old in the azl you know this is he's right up there with all the best guys out here in the desert and um i think he's if I had to throw top prospect in the AZL, I'd probably give it to Luciano. I mean, he's a special player. So I hope it doesn't come off as overly critical or negative that I don't think he's going to stick it short. And in my opinion, he's a third baseman long term. This yeah. is still a guy that I think is going to have immense value. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I think he could... I think he could have 70 power at maturity, like game power, not raw. So that's that's, that's meaningful. That not a lot of guys have. <laughs> you told me the Giants have a prospect who can actually hit. So that's all I'm focused on. <laughs> that's all I'm looking. I mean, the, the thing about being the best prospect in the ACL too. The ACL is a really good. At least the the top level is really good this year because you got C.J. Abrams, you got Bobby Witt. There's some real talent out there in that league this year. Um, but let's move on to the, kind of the second pair of that quartet that was in the desert this summer, uh, and that's Jairo Pomares and and then a guy who's not there anymore, uh, Alexander Canario, um, who, you know, I've been on the bandwagon for for some time now because I just love his bat speed. Um, 
have you had a chance to see both of them a good amount and what kind of grades are you putting on them yeah so pomares i saw a few times recently and then i saw him in extended spring training too so i feel like i have a decent feel for who he is as a player and i i mean basically i ended up i saw the black team which is the team that has pomares um and then a few of the other and then a bunch of the high school draftees yeah Right, and then some high school draftees from this year's draft. And I like Pomares. I think he's a bat-first outfielder, probably going to stick in a corner. And um, the bat speed's very good there. He works with this leg kick, breaking pitches and change-ups. So I don't think he's completely hapless against secondary stuff, but I just think he fares better and has shown ability to hit premium velocity which is kind of exciting the uh, defensive profile is a little bit less interesting just because I don't think his instincts are super great defensively I mean he's he's about an average runner and the range is about average his reads are okay they're not great so that's why he's most likely a right fielder or left fielder I think I mean, to be honest, at the end of the day, I think he ends up in left. But yeah. I also think he's a guy that is going to hit enough that the bat will play there. So for me, I think he's an everyday player, but maybe not on the star level like Luciano. I think he's more of a, a guy that's going to play every day and be an above average offensive player and maybe a fringe average defender. So that's just who I who I see Pomares as being. And um, Canario I saw a little bit and extended. Uh, I didn't catch him in the ACL because um, I was back in Massachusetts uh, where my parents live, and I was seeing some Cape Cod League baseball out there toward the start of ACL, and I was looking at the box scores, and I just pretty much every day I saw Canario hitting a home run, and he just didn't last very long out here. He got promoted right. to Salem Kaiser the short season league and he was just I mean obviously he was just crushing it out here but seeing him I know you guys already mentioned it the bat speed is insane he has a little bit of a bat wrap that adds a little length to his swing but when when is when the hands on the bat speed are that good sometimes it can just make up for it and I think that's what we were seeing with Canario in the early part of the AZL season he was repeating the level, and he just showed that he was really ready for the next challenge. And um, obviously, there was no sense in leaving him in in rookie league for him to lay waste to the league. Yeah, and he had uh, so he was originally ticketed to start the year in Salem Kaiser, and had had uh, a, a minor injury late in and extended. Uh, I believe diving back into a base, he had uh, tweaked his shoulder, which I think is why they left him there to begin with. And then, of course, he he just kind of went crazy on the league. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I didn't realize he had a little small injury in there, but that, that makes total sense. Because he just seemed way too polished for the league, and the league was just overmatched by him. And, you know, I'm, I was happy to, to see him get the promotion, and... To be honest, I haven't. I don't know how he's done recently. I, you guys would probably be more in touch with that than me, but um, 
yeah, just overall good to see him, you know, move up the ladder and get a new challenge at the next level. Yeah, he's, he started out slowly when he moved up, and it's it's been really heating up lately, uh, which he did last year, too, in the ACL. I, I actually I think sometimes that players who have the kind of bat speed he has, that it messes up their rhythm a little bit just because they're too fast uh, getting things. I remember Gary Sheffield just talked about that, that he created that bat rap to slow himself down a little bit. Um, okay. So, I had to ask a question, otherwise I will be fired. Because you mentioned the Cape Cod League. Did you see Brian Sabian there? I had to, I have to ask that question. It's the last year he could go there on the team's dime. So I just want to know if he made one last pilgrimage. I'm going to be honest. I don't know what a lot of like the front office people in baseball look like and i don't know if this is a smart move or it, i don't know if this is a smart move or a dumb move by me because you know maybe i'm missing networking options or networking opportunities but at the same time i feel like those guys are probably so tired of being like sucked up to and you know having people approach them type of thing so if you can have like an organic natural connection with them where you know, you literally don't know who they are. Maybe that's better. Maybe that's for the best. And I literally don't know what a lot of these front office people look like. I mean, I know what Preller looks like because I feel like his, his face is always in the news. But um, some guys, I literally don't know what they look like. Maybe he was out there. Maybe he wasn't. I have no clue. Fair, fair, enough. But, fair enough. But then you can't drop the classic three scouting directors and a general manager. We're at uh, so-and-so start today. That's true. That's true. I mean, it would be nice from that respect. So you mentioned uh, seeing Black, which does have this group uh, of high school draftees from this year's uh, this year's draft, which is essentially it's uh, McCray and uh, Frechette and Dylan Rosario. And I'll actually kind of toss uh, PJ Hilson, who's on the Orange team and was in last year's draft, in with that group. Um, None of them have really kind of, you know, gotten off to, to, to blazing starts or anything. But have you seen things that you liked out of that out of that high school class in this in this uh, in this camp? Yeah, there's definitely. I mean, all these kids were drafted for a reason. I mean, I look at. I'll start with Hilson because he was the only one on the orange team, and there's some loud tools here. I mean, I think the I don't have a runtime on him, but. The speed is at least plus. It might be double plus. I mean, yeah. he kind of looks like he's just gliding up the base paths. Like, you know, sometimes you see those guys and they almost look like they're floating. That's what P.J. Hilson looks like when he runs. And the hands are really explosive. Great hands. I mean, I don't think he's going to have any trouble with fastballs, but he's just – the problem with his profile is he's looked overmatched with with spin and change-ups and there were a couple at bats where i just saw him <clears throat> the opposing pitchers would throw him you know three curveballs in a row and he wouldn't hit them so um that seems to be his problem his issue but there's loud tools there and i also liked his defense in center so if he can somehow figure it out to a reasonable level with with his hit tool and I think reacting to secondary pitches, then there's potential for him to, to be something. But until that happens, it's it's hard to be optimistic with him. And I have noticed swing changes with him 
from extended to the AZL in extended. He had more of a, I'd say a leg kick where he draws his front leg back and used his hips more. And then that seems to have been eliminated in the AZL and he's working from a wider base stance and really letting his hands play up. And I don't know that it's translated to better results, but at least, you know, different things are being tried and, um, you know, there's still loud tools here and tools that you like as a scout. And yeah, the arm too, right? I don't know if I've seen a max effort throw from him, but uh-huh. I, I definitely liked his defense in center. So there's there's stuff to like there. It's just it's really a matter of how how well he'll hit secondary stuff um, going forward. So yeah, some of the other guys, I like Rosario. I think there's pretty impressive raw power in the bat. I was sitting on the, I mean, sitting on the orange team, but. Somehow I ended up catching the Blacks BP randomly one day, and hmm. I was watching Rosario and pretty impressive raw power. I don't know how much he'll get to it in games. I just I've only seen him. Let's see, I'm looking at this little spreadsheet I threw together. I've only seen him for 15 plate appearances, and he went two for 14 in those 15 appearances. But he hit a pretty nasty opposite field double and. I just look at the body. He's a really good athletic frame and really showed legitimate raw power in BP. So I think that's a tool that's interesting and could potentially be like a profile carrying tool. That's interesting from a guy who kind of came into the draft with a, with a glove first reputation too. Oh really? Okay. I didn't realize that was his reputation. Um, Hmm. Because for me, I just I've seen pretty decent power from him, and the defense hasn't looked as great. But it's only been it's short look, and this kid is a young 18. I mean, he turned right. he just turned 18 in June, so it's a big difference even between him and you know someone like Toribio is is turning 19 in September. I mean, that's that's a actually somewhat of an age gap. Um, I like to touch on some of these other kids. Um, for Shet, I don't have a great feel for. I've only, I've only seen him for twelve plate appearances, and it was sort of in cross coverage when I was watching the, the Diamondbacks. But um, I like the body. He had a really nice double in one of the games where, I thought it was just a deliberate kind of opposite field batted ball where he kept his hands in and muscled it the other way. He's a kid with uh, some swagger, and I just look at the body language, and I feel like he thinks he's a dude, and like <laughs> he's <laughs> he has like a confidence about him that I liked. And, you know, he's a first-base-only prospect, and those are guys that I try not to get too carried away about. But sure. he's, a, he's a little bit interesting. 6'3", 200 pounds, not not a bad uh, not a bad prospect in his own right. He was a part of this Orange Lutheran team that it's just right. this base, baseball factory out in Southern Cali, and they've won the NHSI three times in the last two years in a row. So um, I think he was kind of already on scouts' radars from that. And um, 
Yeah, he's he's a little interesting. To be honest, I haven't seen him enough to to really give a full fledged report on him, but I, I like him a little bit. So the one thing we haven't talked at all about <laughs> is pitching, uh, and there's a reason for that with these AZL teams. But uh, are there are there any sort of deep cuts that you've liked what you've seen in in the pitching ranks? You know, Vilkelma Castillo or. Juan Sanchez or Jesus Gomez, is there anything down there that's catching your eye? Yeah, it's funny. The names you brought up are a couple of the names I'm a little bit interested in. In like, a, these guys are probably roll 30s, but if things go right for them, you know, maybe they could be a middle relief type. And I saw Castillo on Sunday, and there's a little bit to like there. He's. He's a fairly aggressive pitcher. He wasn't crazy overpowering. He was 89 to 91 and touched 92. But you look at the frame and you could imagine him gaining another tick or two on the velo. It's good arm speed with a little bit of effort to delivery. But I really liked his ability to tail his fastball. And he's, when he spotted it on the corners, which you know was a little sporadic, but when he was able to do that, the ACL hitters were just overmatched and not not able to get to it. And um, at least on Sunday, he had a little bit of issue timing his release and had some glove side or excuse me had some arm side misses as a result. But he was able to work through that. And I just looked at the arm action, thought it was a little bit deceptive. He flashed a curve in the high seventies and also had a change in the mid eighties. Both those pitches weren't super consistent, but they flashed at, you know, above average level, something like that. And I just look at the overall package and there is a little bit to dream on there. I think I think it's probably something like a middle relief ceiling, but you know, I don't look at him and think it's impossible. He's he's a decent athlete and I think he has a, a shot to be like a middle reliever mm-hmm. with uh with Sanchez, this is a kid who is uh, – I'm talking about um, Juan Sanchez. I don't know if right. he, that was the same guy that you brought up. That um, was the same guy, yeah. Okay, yeah. He's a just a young kid with pretty easy delivery. But the thing that I like about him is he has a nasty changeup. And um, I think it's pretty comfortably plus pitch and – he doesn't use his lower half very much. So this is something where, you know, if you kind of imagine a few things, you know, maybe he adds a little bit of weight. He uses, incorporates his little lower half a little better. You could see him getting the fastball up into maybe the low 90s and then couple that with the changeup, which is pretty much a wipeout pitch, I think. You know, I could see him getting to something like middle relief as well. And um, the other guy I wanted to bring up really quick was Caleb Killian, who's been out here. Oh, right. He's a college kid, was an eighth-round pick out of uh, Texas Tech, I believe. And right. he's, he's thrown a couple times in the AZL, and he's been mid-90s with, with a curveball and changeup. And I could see him settling into, like, a middle relief role, too. Um, those are really the, the, big, the big three with... I would say legitimate shots to be mid-relief types. Um, There's a couple other guys who I think 
that may, that might be their ceiling, but they need a few things to go their way to get there. Uh, Luis Moreno and Jose Cruz are the other two that, you know, that's probably their ceiling if, if a lot of things go their way. But they at least have that upside, which maybe some other guys in the system I don't think have. Did you see Kervin Castro at all unextended before he went up to uh, uh, the Northwest League? Yeah, I did, and I I think I wrote him up if I if I'm remembering correctly. I I thought he could be like a, a middle relief type. He's another one. Um, they've had a couple of these who are sort of shorter shorter right-handed pitchers um, the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, and then the other guy who has not yet had his pro debut is uh, Trevor McDonald, who we're I think is supposed to debut maybe next week. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I don't know anything about him. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he was their 11th round pick, uh, but I think their third highest bonus. So, oh, uh, he's, he is a uh, he dropped to the 11th round because of signability concerns. Uh, but he's he's a guy who probably is the best pitcher they drafted this year because they went very, very hitter heavy in their draft this year. Um, and I, so, Jason, I know you want to run to a game. There are a few guys who I know are favorites of both of us that I think we need to discuss before uh, before we don't have you anymore. Um, one person that you and I have talked about a lot is Diego Rincones. Um, and he has been having a very Diego Rincones kind of year up in the Sally this year. Uh, and, and he's paired with Ismail Mungia, uh, Mungia who I also like. Um, both of these are really kind of, I don't know what you call it. I mean, they're, they're, they're sleeper, they're, they're C prospects, they're kind of 30 guys, but they have things that make you really like them. Um, and I wonder if you would talk just a little bit about what it is about Rincones that's always caught your eye. Yeah, well, I, I think I first saw Rincones in 2017 Instructs, and he just has this kind of innate bat-to-ball ability where it's it's almost crazy. I think there were a couple occasions where he was doing like a Vlad-style golfing the ball off the ground type deal because, one, his approach is uber-aggressive and he swings at just about everything, but then he'll still make solid contacts and the bat-to-ball skills are just really special and really great for Rincones and I don't think there's really a lot of defensive value. Like he's going to need to hit his way to the majors, but absolutely. But thus far through the minor leagues, he's been able to do it and do it effectively. And um, I think when I looked earlier this season, I don't, I don't know if this is still the case, but he was walking more this year than last. Like he had doubled a lot more. Actually, <laughs> actually, yeah, he's he's really picked it up lately. Like um, he had doubled his walk rate to six percent or something like that, or six and a half percent. So like, yeah, that's just giving you perspective where he was before, <laughs> which was never, never, ever, ever walk. I mean, I, as you said, there's there's very limited defensive value there, so he's gonna have to hit, which also means that he's going to at some point have to hit for more power than he's shown thus far, um, and. I think that's sort of a, a big open question with his future is where the power is going to land for him. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And yeah, I, I it's one of those deals where the bat to ball is so special that you can't write him off and you're just kind of, it's a wait and see game. And if he keeps proving himself, he keeps proving himself. 
Yeah, he's sort of like another. He's our our next gen Pablo Sandoval, I guess. Uh, totally. Who was also a guy who who, yeah, who scouts had trouble seeing how he profiled. The other thing I, re- I really wanted to talk to you with you about was um, was Seth Corey and and specifically. So a year ago, when you were putting your list together, I know we talked a little bit about um, Corey and Santos, um, and at that point. Uh, you had Santos very, very high, and, and so did I. And Corey pretty low on your list. They're, I think, a year apart in age. So this year, their fortunes have reversed a little bit, um, in part because Santos has really had trouble staying on the field. He's been plagued by, by shoulder issues most of the year, while Corey is putting together really just an extraordinary year in the Sally where kind of every aspect of his game is getting – better and better and better. Um, his changeup has really come on. He's at least the walks are going down. I mean, he's not exactly Cliff Lee out there, but his walks are going way down. He's given up, I think, two runs since the beginning of July and five hits in his last four games combined. So it's, you never want to scout the box score, but he's putting together a really dominant season in which a lot of the elements of his game seem to be improving as he goes along. Um, so as you look at those two now, they seem to be, I don't know, maybe this is a projection thing. Again, it's like, where are they now in relation to each other? And where do we start seeing them, you know, as prospects going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think both of these guys are interesting in their own right. I know you alluded to the injury with Santos. I, I still like this kid's stuff. He's pretty nasty. I saw him in extended... And it was flashing three-plus pitches. He was mid-90s with, with movement. And he, fought, he, he also had this, I think the change might be his best pitch. His change was mm. 5 to 87 with just this big depth and fade to it. And gets a lot of, I, he was getting swing and miss the day I saw him. I know I looked up his baseball reference and Fangraphs page and – he hasn't been striking out a lot of guys this year, but no, he hasn't. I, I still look at his stuff, and the stuff is nasty. But what I will say is, it was very much a control over command type look, where he was kind of struggling to hit the zone with consistency, and he was also like a human rain delay with runners on. Which, <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like it's. Uh, <laughs> I feel like it's a tempo thing where he needs to find like a more comfortable tempo. And I don't think he was doing himself any favors by slowing himself down. And I, I just viewed that as, as somewhat of an issue, but maybe the injury is kind of curtailing his production too. It's, it's uh, still a guy I believe in, but the results haven't been there so far to me. This is a case of, prospect growth is nonlinear and absolutely you know results don't necessarily translate and i still believe in santos i mean if you're going to re-rank the giant system right now he's not going to be where he was in the preseason but i'm not dropping him too far either because i still see the underlying tools and skills that are there so i still believe in him with seth Corey. I looked at him in the spring because I caught him during minor league spring training. And basically, I didn't see a ton of mechanics differences. Like, when I looked at him in the winter, 
there was a little bit of head whack to his delivery and you know more movement than you'd like at for his head at foot strike and honestly i thought the delivery looked a little bit rigid and kind of stiff when i looked at him over the winter but what the main thing that i noticed that was different was his fastball which for much of last year was low 90s was all of a sudden mid 90s and i thought he just kind of looked more confident in attacking the zone and filling the zone and really i i only got a quick quick brief look at him but that was the biggest thing that stood out to me was just the increase in velocity and when i looked at his fangraph page today earlier today i noticed a few things he was he seems like this guy that is just inducing weak contact so I looked at the South Atlantic League by uh, qualified pitchers, and he had the lowest ground ball, or excuse me, the lowest pull percentage among qualified pitchers, and also the lowest home run to fly ball rate. So he's doing a great job suppressing big or hard contacts, and I think that's helped him out a lot this year. I haven't seen him pitch since, you know, minor league spring training, so. I can't really speak to a lot of the other things that could be happening with him, but, you know, I think he's he's done a good job this season, and I think it's fair to bump his stock up a little bit. I mean, he's, from, from all accounts, he's more consistently sitting mid-90s than he was last year, and to me, that's something notable, and um, he's not... The walk rate isn't crazy low or anything. I mean, he's still walking a decent amount, 4.3 mm-hmm. per nine. But he's also not really allowing much contact at all and much hard contact especially. So, I mean, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah he's he has given up this a little bit crazy. So he hasn't given up a run since July 13th. But he's also given up only five hits combined in his last four starts, which wow. is kind of hard to do. Um, I will say, I, from what uh, talking to the play-by-play guy, it sounds like he has mostly been in the 92-94 range with his fastball this year. Okay. Um, but I think he's he's well. The, the couple things I've observed with him. One is, uh, I think by his own admission, um, in in years past, he's he has let. Um, uh, let the game get to him a little bit when things went wrong, you know, you know, errors behind him or, or, you know, I'm squeezing him. He's gotten frustrated on the mound and it seems like he is doing a better job with just his mound composure. I'm sort of like not letting things get to him. Uh, and then the other thing that I, I really think has helped in the second half is that his change has come a long way and, and just the sequencing for is way too much for Sally league hitters at this point. He actually doesn't – I mean, he has gotten swing and miss, particularly with uh, the curveball when he throws that. Um, but he gets a lot of called strikes just because his sequencing is really sort of overmatching that level of hitter. We've all been there about letting the game get us down, so. <laughs> and there's no doubt. Yeah. And, and that's part of the things you learn, right? And um, I We have one Twitter question that I want to try to get in, but maybe it's one I can save to the end if Roger, if you have another question. I don't know. I'm sure we're, I know I'm I'm sure we're trespassing on Jason's time. Yes. It's a good question to end on. I feel so Jason, thank you so much for joining us. 
prospectslive.com is the site you want to check out. The last question comes from Jules, Julesy Boy, I think is the Twitter handle. Who is the super under the radar guy that you like beyond the usual names we hear about? I want a deep dig. So basically, is there someone in this conversation that caught your eye that we haven't talked about? I mean, we've talked about Vilkelma Castillo. I don't know how much deeper you can dig at this point. (laughs) Jeez. Okay. I guess amongst amongst the guys we haven't talked about, I I think Connor Cannon's a little little bit interesting, and he's he's just a dude with it's it's a kind of a one tool profile, and it's it's the power tool, and I just I haven't seen him a lot. I've only seen. 12 plate appearances but he's hit two home runs and a double and he's just he's just a slugger who's gonna mash and if he hits enough he'll make it if he doesn't he won't you know there's really not gonna be defensive value or anything but he's he's a really under the radar guy that i thought's interesting and at least has the power that potentially could get him to the majors He's one of the few players who actually looks like his name, too, if I remember his draft <laughs> day video. Uh, he's Jason, a big, big, big guy. Yeah, he's chiseled out of huge, something. Yeah. Large man. So, Jason Panini, if, you know, if, not if you're just joining us, go back and listen to the beginning of this. Jason, <laughs> thank you so much for telling us your story, first of all. I, uh, I find that very inspiring. You basically were like, you know what? I don't want to change my life. This is what I'm interested in, and you're doing it. He's joining us in between games. We've kept him from it. Thanks so much for joining us and telling us about a system, you know, that's at best middle of the pack. <laughs> you gave us a lot of information. Uh, and so you can find him again, prospectslive.com. Are you on Twitter? Do you want people following you? Some people don't. So Yeah, <laughs> I would, yeah, I would my Twitter handle is just my name. It's Jason Panini, P-E-N-N-I-N-I. And you can find me tweeting out videos and notes and all these other baseball things. I pretty much stick to baseball, so you don't have to worry about any of the other crap. <laughs> and you are just—you are probably just about to drop some giant stuff because I know you've been sitting on them the last few days. Yeah, I'll have the just basically AZL post on the Giants coming out in the next few days. So hopefully, Giants Twitter likes that, and it'll be informative and and maybe helpful for people in dynasty leagues potentially (laughs) (laughs) giants and dynasty leagues wow all right thanks jason so much thanks have a great night thanks so much jason thanks for having me on this was fun and likewise yeah okay thanks again jason for joining us i think that went well roger i didn't i didn't blow it right i didn't embarrass you i think that was great we actually had knowledge on our podcast A new threshold. Yes, we do all the time. Uh, If you submitted a Twitter question, I feel like most of the Twitter questions we got were answered. They were all in there. They weren't exactly in in the same form, but most of them were in there. Yes. I think the only one that we didn't actually answer was Sean Roby. And there was a couple where it was like it was clear anyone from like double A up, he wasn't probably going to be able to talk to us about. So that's why if you're wondering editorially why I made the decision, if you felt your question should have been answered, that was why. Uh, but so did now, we have a music break? Because now I'm I'm not only feeling bad about the name of the show, I'm feeling a little bit about, bad about our production values. <laughs> well, we had a commercial in there, so okay, uh, yeah, all right, uh, 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 just as good as a music break. Uh, 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 we didn't throw it a break, but we just went to break, so now we're back. And this is usually the point in the podcast where most people have dropped off too. <laughs> so now it's just the diehards. I've looked at the metrics. As soon as that first commercial break hits, people are out. 
Really? We got well, them. The, we got them last the, week because we the didn't six have one. people who are here are going <laughs> to have to quit their job so that they can be uh, baseball scouts. I thought that was a great story. I wish I could have just talked. That would have been that would have been me, the non-prospect guy, just <laughs> spending the hour talking to him about. Like walk me through that account. How do you job. how yeah. do you make the decision to leave your job? Yes. I know that that, yes. that is always pretty remarkable. Did you sever ties with all relationships? Like what what's happening now? He you know what though he he sounded great. He looked like he, he was an emotionally sound person. So he's made a good decision. Like he looked like a happy guy. He accidentally video chatted in folks, and I'm basing it off of that three seconds I saw. Him. I'm like that looks and like he, a and he's guy. absolutely right that a lot of people, not just Kevin Golsing, I mean. There are a lot of people out there on Twitter blog, who teach themselves how to scout, you know, tweet and blog and whatever who are working for teams now, and God love them. I mean, um, in terms of not knowing what Brian Sabian looks like, I think I think that was a smart call on his end. But yes, if you, if, but given I, I saw Brian Sabian at, at a Squirrels game, at a Richmond Squirrels game a couple of years ago. And I think he was trying to be surreptitious, so I, I didn't go up and bug him. Were you at the famous game where he was eating the frozen yogurt? <laughs> I, I think that may be every game he goes to, so <laughs> I'm going to say yes. Yes, he was eating a frozen yogurt at the time. But if I had not asked about the Cape Cod League Brian Sabian appearance, I, I would have had to hand in my McCovey Chronicles card. So uh, for those of you who are just catching up and are new to the site, it's not a it's not a McCovey Chronicles joke. It's an industry running line that Brian Sabian maybe had a fetish they love, for the They Cape, like themselves the yeah, Cape Cod League. Cape Cod I League. I mean, everybody play with loves Mets. the Cape Cod yes, League. But, but yes, I think I may have maybe started that joke a long time ago on, on McCovey Chronicles. You probably, I think what is is that you called attention to it and then subsequent drafts all reinforced it, <laughs> like to a comic extent. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, speaking of comic extents, ah, segue, I figured one out. Uh, the Triple A Giants, really the, the Giants, uh, all the minor league teams have been just tremendously bad for years and years. Years and years and years and years. And yet this year, the AAA Sacramento River Cats are in the hunt for the postseason of minor league baseball. And I don't know when the last time, I don't know the last time a minor league team of the Giants made the playoffs at all. So let me, let me answer this in a few different ways because it really is a fascinating topic. Um, in, in the odds, you know, before the major league in the 1900s, teams, yes. In the 19 yes. no, in the 2000s, before okay. before good things started happening at AT&T Park, the Giants minor league system was a league championship machine. Like they produced something like 15 league titles in that decade of the aughts. Get um, out of here. No, there were a ton of them. San Jose was a dynasty. They won in 05, 07, 09, and 10. And I think there was one back there in 01, too. So they were like the Cal League dynasty. Salem Kaiser was a dynasty in, in the Northwestern League. They had like four or five championships. Um, the uh, Bumgarner and the group won the Sally League championship the year he was 18 years old. They had this huge amount of kind of rings if they give rings in the minor leagues that helped produce the talent that became, you know, the 2010 giants that it may, it may be a shock to you that stopped this decade and it stopped really, really hard. Um, <laughs> I believe there've been two league championships in this decade. And one of them was in the rookie league and one was in the Dominican. So none in the, 
in the full season teams, even though like San Jose had been to the playoffs like 13 years in a row. The last three years, <laughs> basically every team has been competing for worst record in their league all the time. And I think last year they had the second worst overall record in baseball it in their minor league like, system. It seems like almost intentionally competing for the worst record. It was, it was just bad. I mean, <laughs> bad, 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 bad. And Richmond this year is still bad. But the rest of the org is really just suddenly turned around. So, yeah, Sacramento is – I think they're up five games in their division. So they are in really good shape to go to the playoffs. Uh, Augusta is sort of clinging to the first place in their division, uh, and they missed the first half title by like a game. So they actually have the best record overall this year. Uh, but so they're in the playoff race. Salem Kaiser has already clinched the playoffs because they won their first half title. And the AZL Orange team, the same thing. They clinched because they won their first half title, and they're also actually – they may – set a record for wins in the in the Arizona League. So suddenly it's like just everything has turned around in terms of being able to compete. And I actually I'm one of the people who think that winning in the minor leagues actually is important because at the end of the day these guys are professional competitors and learning how to compete is part of the development process too. So I think it's really exciting when Guys get to go out there and try and develop their game in the sort of crucible of, you know, short series or championship series um, where everything gets magnified because that teaches you that aspect of the game too. Um, the Sacramento thing is really amazing because you know Sacramento River Cats when the A's were there, were there winning um, machine. Affiliate. They were, just, they were like they were a winning mint. machine. Just, All they did yeah. was win, yeah. and then you know they switched over to the Giants, and then I know they were really happy about that because of the fan base. But they have had just terrible teams ever since they made that switch. Now suddenly they are going to go back to the playoffs and that's got to be really exciting and really rewarding for the Sacramento team. And I think also it's really indicative of the, the injection of sort of high minors depth talent that Farhan Zaidi has brought into this organization, even though they called on so much of it, they've still got a bunch of guys down there doing well. Um, and I do think it's important. I think it's important that teams learn how to win. And so it's really exciting that finally it's just like every day is an every team loss. It's like, no, no, they're winning and they're, and, they're, and they're competing and they're having this exciting thing for their fans. And I think it's really cool. I think it is too. I can't understand the reasoning behind it doesn't matter if they win or lose as long as they develop their skills. Well, you might say that winning and losing is not a skill, but essentially you're saying like we only care about developing one part of their environment, which makes That's no right. sense. It yeah. doesn't make, doesn't track logically. Um, well, and, and so, I mean, as I say, the giants won a bunch of championships before they won championships. They're not the only ones. I mean, Houston, the year before they went to the playoffs, won a bunch of championships in their minor leagues. Tampa Bay, who is generally considered one of the two best systems in baseball, they sent like six teams, six affiliates to the playoffs last year. Like every team they had was the best team in the league. It does say something about the level of talent you're building that you, when that happens. And obviously it's, I mean, it doesn't take a lot of thinking to figure out why the Giants stopped winning. They decided that we have to keep the major league thing going for as long as pos possible. And I wonder, like, in retrospect, it's so easy, but I'm pretty sure even at the time there were enough of us going, 
what if one of these years they didn't try to just focus on this year and maybe next year? What if they kind of said, what about five years from now? If the decade would have shaped a little bit differently, if 10, 11, 12, like somewhere in 11 and 12, maybe 13, they were like, well, let's maybe we're not going to be good 14, 15, 16 or not worry about that so much. Let's try to see how we're going to be in 17, 18, 19. That would have been an interesting uh, situation, but hey, yeah, you win three titles. I, I guess if just they had a little more risk, you know. I think it's kind of what their tolerance for risk was. The more they started winning, the more they started tightening in on how much risk they were willing to take. Remarkably, um, you could go all the way back to the Bonds era of that being the the sort of institutional practice. You know, we can't we can't upset the apple cart. We've got to keep the Bonds train going, so we can't experiment. Then, we can't anyway. So yeah. Giants Howard adding to their triple-A team to this point, even at the trade deadline, which came and went. And they've added two really interesting players into that mix. Um, and one of those outfielders, uh, Jalen Davis, and an infielder, Mauricio Dubon, who was the Brewers' number three, uh, their number three prospect in their system, not in the top 100 of baseball, but still a very good prospect. Both of them... Very close, I think, to making it to the major league roster. But I'm wondering, Roger, if there's anything from a scouting prospect guru side of things that you can clue us in on about why they're successful now, why they could potentially be on the major league roster this year. Well, so Dubon actually, he may have been a top 100 guy. Uh, Dubon has been a very highly regarded not at this prospect. Point. Yes, but not, uh, that's yeah, all I meant. It was like, not today. And I, and I think he was never like a top 100, but he was one of those, you know how like, you know, the top 100 is a very, um, I don't know what's the right term for that, but you know, the top Popularity of the top 100 contest. is really, really yeah. important. Yes. After that, it starts getting, you know, the difference between number 50 and number 150 is not that much, you know, um, not as much as the difference between one and 10. So is that geometric or exponential? I don't know. What, I don't really know. But <laughs> so Dubon was one of those guys who's like 100 to 150 sort of guy, and he always has been. Um, he was very highly re- regarded in the Red Sox system at one point and then uh, has been a top five prospect, I think, in the, in the Brewers system. And, of course, you know, the Giants brought over – one of the people they brought over this year um, – came from the brewer system. So you have some insight in there. Uh, and he, I think the, the thing about the Devon trade was that really, you know, along with Scooter Jeanette, it really did kind of signal the end of Joe Panic's time with the Giants um, because this is a guy who I think they were bringing in to be a second baseman or at least someone who can play around the infield and probably could start doing that this year. He's not a player who has a lot of power, but he is a good hitter. He's a good athlete. Um, he has a strong defensive reputation. He's also, you know, for people who've read his his interesting backstory, uh, the first major league player ever from Honduras, which is and although he's so he's from Honduras, but he actually went to high school in Sacramento. So he is both. <laughs> the first native from his country to play in the majors and a local kid. It's that's, you love. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it has the interesting backstory that foreign Zaidi seems to also be attracted to. Is to- Davis is a really interesting guy. And this I think is, was sort of the hidden gem of the, of the deadline. Um, 
So I, I wrote this in the minor lines the other day. Dave is actually, interestingly enough, played for Ryder Jones' father in college at Appalachian State and was, after his sophomore year, a pretty highly regarded player. Um, but then he suffered a pretty bad injury right at the beginning of his junior year. He tore his shoulder up diving for a catch and missed his junior year and fell way far in the draft and then didn't play for a year. Um, but prior to that, he'd been a guy who had a pretty good reputation as a hitter and a power hitter and even you know a good defensive player as a corner outfielder. So he seems like the profile of the guy who would be a late bloomer because he had to get over that injury and, and rise. And he's not on anybody's top list, but he has a lot of really interesting tools and he's had a monster year this year um, in the twin system. I'm really interested to see kind of what they have in him. I, when I was doing the trade analysis, I, what stuck out to me was that his profile reminded me of Tyler Austin. And so is it unfair of me to say that he, the, the most actualized version of him is the, <laughs> is the top projection for what Tyler Austin was supposed to be? Not the version the Giants got, but sort of the one that the reason why he was with the Yankees and the Twins and drafted and at all. Like the reason why he keeps team. popping around yes, in the major leagues. Right. Or is he um, a slightly more athletic Tyler Austin or a much more athletic Tyler well, Austin? Well, I think he's changed it all together. I think from, from the perspective of not feeling afraid that he's going to get hit in the head with any fly ball that goes out in his way, he's probably a much more athletic version of Tyler Austin. I kind of feel like he strikes out less too, but I would – and now I need to look at his Fangraphs record to see if I'm right about that. Uh, he's definitely a guy who walks a lot. And, geez, maybe we should just look up his splits. Well, from the minor leagues, he's got basically a four to one strikeouts to walk, which is not fantastic. 473 strikeouts, 151 walks. And then Tyler Austin, I feel like remember seeing it was somewhere in that range too. But yeah, he has a, he has a 345 career minor league on base percentage 414 in triple a in 45 games this year tyler austin um, 363 for his minor league career and he had about um eyeballing it almost a two to one strikeout to walk ratio so he was a little bit better with the eye so I, yeah you you may be right so what the what they may be getting is like tyler austin with competent corner outfield defense um, which isn't a bad thing to have around. No, sure. I'm, I mean, also uh, looks like a little tiny bit more power. Just a little bit more. Uh, we have a minor league ISO for Tyler Austin of 189. And, um, I mean, I'm just spreadsheet scouting here. It means nothing. Um, but his ISO in the minor league so far is 201. So it's a little bit more power. He uh, also is just... You know, he comes over to the River Cats, and in four games, he has five extra base hits. He's got an 11.64 OPS. So, you know, yeah, you make friends that way. Yeah, it's great to hit the ground running that way. Um, and who knows? Because the Giants have already, you know, if Chris Shaw's making an adjustment with the, you know, strike zone or back control, who knows? It could just be a matter of rinsing Jalen Davis through the their process real quick, and and then getting them getting him out. But. Um, 
Yeah, he. I, I would say I'm I'm as intrigued uh, with Davis as I am with Dubone. The Giants could use either of them, obviously, right now. <laughs> they did also add to to Sacramento uh, Joe McCarthy, who is neither a former senator nor a former Yankees manager, <laughs> um, but was a guy who the Rays couldn't had to get off their forty man, so the Giants were able to pick him up for a very low level uh, minor league pitcher. Uh, and he's he's interesting in that kind of Michael Reed way in that he's has a long history of really good on base skills, uh, but he also has been plagued mightily for a few years now with back problems, which I think have put him back on the IL after like two games in Sacramento. Yes. Um, yeah. But he's a guy that I'm sure Zay is happy to have, but it's unclear whether he's going to be healthy enough to play. I don't know why why back uh, back trouble seemed to be the new market efficiency for the Giants this year. <laughs> and he's not quite he he's not quite Alex Dickerson either in that sense because he's not a power guy. He's not a power guy. No. But he is an no. on base guy. I mean he he's basically two twenty nine walks, two ninety eight strikeouts. I mean I like to round up in these comparisons sometimes. It's actually closer to like a one and a half to one, but it's also yeah. just as close to a one to one. Um, but yeah, I mean. Here's what here's my theory on the back issue thing. Steve Kerr. <laughs> that whatever Bay Area doctors had to deal with whatever Steve Kerr's issues were, which I'm firmly convinced were wearing dress shoes on a hardwood court. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you on that. <laughs> um, I, I think that's what the the Giants thinking is like back problems. We might be able to fix this. Our our, our surgeons might be able to. There might be a way to. You know, it's, or far anxiety. Is, is this like, connected to the yeah. whole Kevin Durant broke the Giants <laughs> theory? Uh, an unimpeachable theory to this point. <laughs> There's been nothing to disprove it. Um, anyway, so yeah, so okay. I think it's fair to say that the Giants got three prospects who are in the range of being on the team. That's great. And I would say that they're, the other pitchers they got from Minnesota, maybe we can talk about some of the time. There's such low A-ball players right. you don't know. But I'm wondering if there's anything you can tell us about Tristan Beck, who was the Braves' number 17 prospect. And, you know, he, he seems to, you know, he was included in the trade. That kind of got like, first of all, the, let's, just, let's just take a moment to marvel in Mark Blanson. <laughs> Mark Blanson was tradable with all his money. Yes. That is incredible. Uh, that the, the most amazing anything, thing that happened. Yeah, that the Giants got anything for him, really. Uh, we don't even really need to talk about it. But I am wondering if there's any note about Tristan Beck that, that stood out to you. So Tristan Beck, I think there's actually back injury is involved in the Tristan Beck story too. Um, so he was a guy, he was a dude out of high school. He went to Stanford. Um, he had, I think, back injuries his last year in Stanford. So at his best in Stanford, he was like a 95, 96 guy. But once he got into the pros, that velocity dropped pretty significantly uh, down into the kind of low 90s um, and it's there's been some wax and waning with this stuff uh, that is directly related to health I believe so most people look at him as now as either kind of like a, a fringe fifth guy or somebody whose stuff might play back up in the bullpen uh, but yesterday I think he, he had his system debut with San Jose and it sounded like uh, he was in that more in the 93 to 95 range so the velocity, where people like him as a prospect, depends on where the velocity is, and the velocity has been related to 
his overall health over the last few years. I'm uh, but you. he's yoga, yeah. yoga, this, whatever Steve Kerr did, or he did surgery, but whatever he would have, should have done instead of the surgery, that's that's what they're banking on. He also doesn't give up a lot of home runs, I noticed. So he seems yeah. like he might be a ground ball pitcher or. His strikeout stuff is actually there too. He he's got a nice three to one strikeout to walk. We're talking with very limited sampling here in his pro career, but um, yeah, I think he's a guy who you'll see most people throw like, you know, that sort of forty range future value or thirty five plus, which means they see a major league role of some nature for him. So he's a guy who could be middle reliever, um, back end starter, somewhere in that in that realm but but he's a guy who can be on the 40 man and be in the majors playing some role at some point so we don't have any which again for mark melanson (laughs) i was going to transition out but yes mark melanson being traded for major league talent for major league potential talent is not something any of us would have guessed at any point in the mark melanson tenure (laughs) okay a miracle um I feel like we got everything we could bring out of this system. Uh, there is no way anybody <laughs> is still listening to us. <laughs> we will be back uh, in a few weeks, probably to wrap up the minor league season. And, and before we get into the AAA uh, or before we get into the September call-ups, maybe somewhere around that time, uh, maybe we'll have a name by then, or maybe that'll just be a game for the off season. Who knows? Uh, special thanks to Jason Panini for joining us without a title. You know, he said he was inspired by a podcast <laughs> with a name. We could be inspiring the GMs of tomorrow, but only if, if we, we only a had a name. Yeah, alas. Uh, Roger, thanks so much. Uh, Roger does this in addition to writing minor lines, which is on the site every morning. You should, it, it should be before you are even uh, drinking your coffee. You every single lines. morning. Every single morning. So get on that minor lines. You'll know everything you need to know about the giant system and you will have a good time doing it. That's where it's most engagement on the site. You don't have to worry about off topic conversations all the end topic. And you can also follow Roger on Twitter. Roger, what's your Twitter handle? At Rog61. All right. We'll be back in, a, in maybe about a month. Maybe a month. That sounds good. Thanks for listening. That does sound good. Yeah. <laughs>